Hello, happy Easter. So, chapter 20, reading from verse 1 to 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. It's a glorious thing, Easter Sunday. But when I was a child, I couldn't really get my head around what was so happy about Easter Sunday. I mean, I knew it was that Jesus rose from the dead, but why is that something that 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating? Why is it something that we're still celebrating 2,000 years on? What is so brilliant about Jesus being risen from the tomb? There's something about this story. Do look with me on page 1089, if you would. What we've heard so far tells us the tomb is empty and everyone is confused. In fact, that first Easter Sunday was absolute chaos. It started before dawn, well done to those of you, those few hands that went up who were awake to see the sunrise, just like Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb, not really knowing perhaps what else to do. The man she called Lord, the man around whom she had based her whole life, was dead and she expected to go and find his body. But as she approached the tomb, a day that she couldn't imagine could get any worse, got worse. As she approaches the tomb, she sees the stone has been rolled away. And she knows that can mean only one thing. Grave robbers. They've come, she says, and taken the Lord out of the tomb. Verse 2. We don't know where they have put him. It's absolute despair. So, It might feel like a slightly strange way that we started our service with people running all over the place, but that's how John begins his description of Easter Sunday. It's with people running. Mary goes running to the disciples. We don't know where they've put him. The disciples then, and it's a slightly strange reaction, isn't it? They start running towards the tomb. I mean, what's the emergency? There's nothing there. That's what she's told them. There's nothing here. And they go running to see nothing. I don't know if it's ever struck you as strange 
But about 10%, or maybe slightly more, of John's account of that first Easter Sunday is basically his description of him beating Peter in a running race. It's weird, isn't it? First of all, he tells us, doesn't he, uh, in verse 4, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, And then, in case you hadn't got the point, he then says in uh, verse 8, finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, seems like quite a big thing to be preoccupied with, that on this day of all days, by the way, Galilee running champion, 30 AD, but don't you think it just points to the truthfulness of the story? I mean, if you were making up a story about if you were making up a happy ending to, the, to, 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 to Jesus' life, it would be much more dramatic and glorious than this, wouldn't it? You'd have Jesus bursting forth from the tomb in light and the disciples there on their knees wondering at the wonder of it all. But you've got two confused disciples, a confused Mary running all over the place. Confused. They have no idea what is going on. And what they see in the tomb really surprises them. The disciples get there and they see Jesus' grave clothes all sort of folded up neatly. The cloth that had been around his head folded up separately from the rest. So Jesus isn't there, but his grave clothes are there. Which, if you're expecting to find the scene of a tomb robbery, is... Well, it doesn't make any sense. The only thing in the tomb of any value was the linen. But that's still there. The body's gone. The clothes are still in the tomb. And so Mary then comes back and she goes to the tomb. And we're sort of skipping on to the next bit of our reading in verses 11 and 12. When she gets there, she looks into the tomb expecting it to be empty. And it's full. It's full of angels. There are two. She expects to see no Jesus. She sees two angels sitting in the place where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And if you've not read this story before, you must really be scrambling to catch up. You're thinking, what's going on? We know the disciples didn't understand. We know Mary didn't understand. Now we see these angels. What do they mean? The tomb is empty but mysteriously full. The body's gone. The grave clothes are still there. And yet somehow all these things point to something that is too good for anyone to imagine. But why is it that Easter Sunday is so filled with joy that we celebrate? Well, in just a moment, in just a few moments... We're going to come to understand that, and it really is glorious. And what's going to help us to understand it are two things. Well, I suppose three things. The first is Barbara Streisand's dogs. Here they are, Miss Scarlet and Miss Violet, and my monumental Easter egg. Between them... They're going to help us to understand what is so extraordinary about this day. But not yet.
Um, So we're reading on um, in John 20 from verse 11 to verse 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Alison. So why is it that it is a happy Easter? What's so wonderful about it? Oh, I forgot my Easter egg. Sorry, hold on. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? One prop, and it just went and forgot it. Never mind. I'll take care of it. Oh! oh. Um, slight technical mishap. My, this is the best Easter, Easter egg I've ever found or had. And do you think anyone could mend that for me? Oh. I, I think it's beyond repair. I don't think that can ever be mended. When I was about two, my parents gave me a biscuit and I dropped it on the floor and it broke. And and what they tell me is I was absolutely inconsolable. I wanted them to mend it. I thought my dad can fix anything. But it was like my Easter egg. It was broken. I was like, Dad, get the glue. (laughs) Not so advisable with a biscuit, it turns out. I don't know when you first realized that there are some things that just can't be mended. But there are, aren't there? That's where Miss Violet and Miss Scarlet help us too. Here they are. They look quite alike, don't they? They should, because they're clones. Barbara Streisand had a dog called Sammy, and she absolutely loved Sammy. So much so that as Sammy began to get old and she realized that Sammy would die, 
She couldn't bear the thought of not having Sammy in her life anymore. So at $50,000 a pop, she had two clones made in a desperate attempt to beat death. But neither of these dogs is Sammy, are they? No matter how much money you've got, no matter who you go to, there are things that cannot be unbroken. And in human experience, there is one thing above all others that cannot be undone. And that's death. And those of us who have experienced the pain of that know that there is nothing so awful, nothing so brutal, nothing so merciless as the icy fingers of death that snatch from us in the end everyone and everything that we love. That's the horror that Mary is confronting as she goes to the tomb. The Lord, the one on whom she's based her whole life, is dead. And though Barbara Streisand could try and keep her relationship with her dog alive through cloning it, in the end, death breaks every relationship. And it's awful. And it cannot be undone. And just in a sense, as my Easter egg is a symbol of the horror of that, of something that's broken and cannot be put back together, so death serves as a symbol for the whole human race of something that we cannot fix for ourselves. Our relationship with the God who made us, the God who gives life, has been severed. That's the story the Bible tells right at the very beginning. The first man and the first woman turned away from God. They turned in on themselves. They rejected him. They pushed him away. And the one who gives life said, you've chosen death. And every human being who has been born since that moment, more than about 100 years ago, has died. And each of us will too. Death stands as a symbol for what is lost. For the paradise and the joy of knowing God. It makes the question the angels ask Mary a strange one, doesn't it? Look at it. There it is in verse 13. Woman, why are you crying? Well, angels are supposed to be smart, aren't they? Here is a bereaved woman at the tomb of the man she had followed and given her whole life to, the man she called Lord, and his body's not even there. Why are you crying? Well, the answer to that should be obvious, shouldn't it? And she sort of turns away, whether in disgust or what we don't know, but she turns around and sees Jesus standing there but doesn't recognize him, and he says to her, woman, why are you crying? And she thought he's the gardener and says, look, if you've taken him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. And then the next move in that conversation 
just like that, changes the whole of human history forever. This man who had been dead calls her by name. That thing that seems like it could not be unbroken, that relationship that death has just severed, is whole again. Mary. The voice she thought she would never hear. The man she thought she would never see again in the land of the living is speaking to her. Unbelievable. And it's a little bit like at the end of The Lord of the Rings when Samwise Gamgee turns to Gandalf and says, forgive me if you hate Tolkien, there we are. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, he says, could it be that every sad thing is going to come untrue? And Tolkien had in mind this moment. The moment at which every sad thing begins to come untrue where somehow Jesus has managed to buy a return ticket to the grave. That one-way journey that we must all travel is no longer one way. He is alive. He has unbroken reality. He has restored a relationship that could never be restored. And Mary has him back. And you can imagine, what's Mary's first reaction? She wants to just grab him and hold him close. She can't believe how well this day is turning out, but it's better than she thought. That's why Jesus says, no, 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 don't hang on to me. Now is not the time for that. I've not yet ascended to my father. Instead, go and tell my brothers. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And it's in that second line of the conversation that you really begin to see just how good things really have become. Just how much every sad thing is coming untrue. I don't know how, how long is the longest it's ever taken you to unwrap a Christmas present. Because here's one 33 years in the making. If you turn back with me to page 1063, to the reading we heard this Christmas in our carol service, these extraordinary words at the beginning of John's gospel, this is what John says, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then look down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. If you then put, turn back uh, to page 1089 uh, and uh, look at verse 30 of John chapter 20. 
John explains the reason he's written his whole book. Right at the beginning, he says, Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Son of the Father, has come into the world and made God known. At the end, uh, what does John say? Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole story of John's gospel is about this, that Jesus is the Son of God. And all the way through the book... One of the most repeated words you'll find in this gospel is Father. And in every instance, bar one, when God is referred to as Father, it is as Father of Jesus. And other people who claim that God is their Father, Jesus says, No, he's not. He's my Father. And he tells his disciples, My Father will love you. But God is the father of Jesus and Jesus alone in John's gospel up until this moment. But look what he says. I am ascending to my father and your father. The events of that long weekend, his death at Good Friday, his rising from the tomb, has unbroken not just his relationship with Mary, but it has unbroken humanity's relationship with God. So that now, any human being who comes to him finds that God is their father too, in the way that he is the father of Jesus Christ, the son of God. No longer is there that dividing wall. Now, everything is back the way that it was meant to be. We can know the one who is the giver of life and he gives eternal life to all who come to him. So that Jesus, if you like, it's, it's like a spanner. He is like a spanner. He goes into the grave and he's like a spanner thrown into the works of death. And he has so broken the brutal machinery of death that it's run into reverse. And instead of just sucking people down forever, it has started spitting them out. And Jesus is the first. So that death no longer is a one-way ticket. Death no longer signifies the, the permanent end of relationship. From this point on in the New Testament, when someone dies, when someone who's a Christian dies, it's described as falling asleep. Just as when you and I go to bed at night, we expect to wake in the morning. We kiss our loved ones goodnight, but not goodbye. And so the grave, that terrible symbol of all that is wrong with the world, becomes for the Christian just a bed in which they rest and from which they will rise to be reunited with those they love, but more wonderfully, to be reunited with the God who made them for life with himself forever. My friends, that is why Easter Sunday is a happy ending, better than any you could imagine. This really is the beginning of every sad thing coming untrue. It is unimaginably and almost unbelievably glorious. Now, if you already believe that, if you already have put your faith in that Jesus who Mary called Lord, who God calls his son and who says, come and be a son with me, well, what a day to rejoice. Let's rejoice and rip the roof off this church as we sing together in praise in a moment. 
But if that's not yet you, if you've not yet come to share in that Easter joy, oh, I urge you, look into it for yourself. Because what if this is true? It's too wonderful a prospect to ignore, isn't it? A couple of free things you can take away uh, on your way out. Uh, Easter in three words, a little booklet explaining what Easter's all about. Or perhaps you've never read one of the Gospels, one of the stories of Jesus' life. Well, we've got copies of John's Gospel that you can take with you and read through. This story of how we can come to share in the relationship Jesus has had eternally with his Father. Somehow we can come to participate in the love that is at the heart of God himself. But whatever you're going to do when you leave here, may I wish you, from the bottom of my heart, a happy Easter. And may it perhaps be happier, much happier, than you thought it would be when you got out of your bed this morning.